everyone, it's Daniel. Oh my, Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, and we are the Last Nighters. And uh, we're going to make a stop. <laughs> we're going to do a uh, My Little Pony episode tonight. Now we're doing Eyes Wide Shut, the Stanley Cooper classic that features a lot of masks and a lot of deranged activity. Kubrick, of course, famously did The Shining, uh, that also had some weird uh, furry uh, action in it. And uh, so we're going to be doing. One that has a little bit more intense kind of weird stuff going on, and that is Eyes Wide Shut. And we're going to be having our guest, Mike C., who has come on many times, many, many times, most recently for, well, it wasn't most recently, but you were on for a couple of Christmas episodes. The most recent of those was Kingdom of Heaven, and uh, you've been on for Robocop and a bunch of other good stuff. So welcome back to the show, Mike. I appreciate uh, all the memes we've been sharing and the music you've been sharing with me, and the time you you spent with us on the show. Oh, and by the way, show notes more. Lastnighters.com slash 173. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mike. I was muted. <clears throat> um, hi, I'm Mike. I don't eat chicken, but I do eat fish, which uh, has the vitamin D that's helpful to um, fight against respiratory infections. Anyway, um, yeah, I've been on the show a few times. I like Christmas movies, apparently. Um, yeah, that's about it. All right, very good. And you've been uh, doing more music at Mechanical Dream Revolution as found on SoundCloud, and you just released a new track recently, so we'll put that on the show notes page. Yeah, there's uh, four tracks of just basically workout music, you know, it's kind of a little more. I liberated myself from a four-year project or five-year project that went on and on and really broke my back, and uh, now I'm just doing kind of fun stuff for a bit. So uh, check it out. It's four hours of straight fire if you need some inspiration to get get your lift in. On. Okay. Well, that's also a good thing to, you know, focus on health, sunlight, uh, getting exercise, yeah, social it's crazy. interactions. It's crazy that no government on earth uses this as an opportunity to talk about health or good health or healthy lifestyles. It's very strange behavior from people that would um, have our best interest in mind. I, I don't think you're wrong there. And, and perhaps some of the reasoning might be found in uh, some of the meaning behind this movie with all the symbolism and uh, other things going on now i know robert is going to have a lot of uh naysaying to do on this one so i'm looking forward to that robert. more like more like always naysaying <laughs> he doesn't create but uh you know i i'm a big fan of uh kubrick and i i consider him a master filmmaker and he fills every scene purposefully and there's all sorts of intention and meaning uh that he puts into it but it also has a little bit of ambiguity so that there's an a subject there's a subjective artistic experience for the viewer as well, which uh, I think lends itself to a lot of fan theory and a lot of ideas of what uh, he intended with certain things. So I'm sure, Mike, you're going to give uh, a couple of interesting hot takes on this one. Uh, yeah, I um, I had my morning coffee today and and just sat down with the movie with pause button in hand and made some serious notes. Um, like like where where Nolan like Christopher Nolan is a master propagandist who has very specific ideas that he wants to give you. Uh, and he uses like emotional sort of subterfuge to get them right to your subconscious. So you have like an emotional experience that processes these ideas. Um, Kubrick is more about uh, enlightening the audience and giving you like breadcrumbs to kind of discover the world around you and what's going on. So like with The Shining, there's like, you know, all these different like takes where you can get, you know, the Apollo shit and the, the American Indian genocide and, and the child abuse sort of cycle and stuff out of that i love kubrick for that because he's he's like it's all ambiguous so you're allowed to just kind of um wander. go in as far as you want yeah you're allowed to wander and you're allowed to turn these ideas over so um you're not yeah he's not he's not a propaganda he's almost an anti-propagandist a true artist um definitely the best filmmaker 
in history, in my opinion. Did a hell of a job with the moon landing. Yeah. Damn it, you're stealing my thunder, Daniel. <laughs> I was going to say, is this a yeah. better movie than the moon landing? I don't know yeah. which one's better. Yeah, because like... I mean, um, the moon landing had better acting, but that's why Chet has better special effects. Like, he's supposed to be the, the color commentator, and you're the straight man, right? So stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll stop trying to make jokes. Uh, I, I do the dad jokes and they're usually not very funny except to me and, and maybe my kids occasionally. But how we usually start this off is the old Google description. So I'm going to add this on screen. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So Eyes Wide Shut, 1999 rated R mystery slash drama film, two hours and 45 minutes. So um, Mike, as I'm sure you've uh, mentioned in the pre-show bonus content available for our Patreon supporters, lastnerd.com slash Patreon. There is at least 20 minutes missing, right? So this would have been a three-hour film. So uh, this got a 7.4 on uh, IMDb, 75% Rotten Tomatoes, 68% Metacritic, and 83% of Google users liked it. The description reads, after Dr. Bill Harford's wife, Alice, admits to having sexual fantasies about a man she met, Bill becomes obsessed with having a sexual encounter. He discovers an underground sexual group and attends one of their meetings and quickly discovers that he is in over his head. Uh, that's quite the description. Uh, July 16, 1999 was the release date. Kubrick, of course, is the director, has a lot of uh, classical type music in it and stars Tom Cruise and uh, Nicole Kidman and Sidney Pollack. And then also uh, the guy Todd Field, who plays Nick Nightingale. Uh, apparently he became quite the director himself doing a movie called In the Bedroom, which I have not seen, but uh, have read is very, very good. Uh, Robert, let's go to you for your opening take. Okay, so Eyes Wide Shut, a movie I had never seen before prior to this viewing. Uh, I was expecting more. I was expecting some really racy stuff. Instead, what I got was a pretty coherent fish-out-of-water-slash-mystery movie. Uh, about a doctor that has a wild night. Um, it plays out fairly interestingly. I mean, we're given kind of these breadcrumbs of what might be happening. And then ultimately, it's just him hanging out with a bunch of people that like to have this weirdo kinky sex. It's I, I know Mike's going to have all kinds of interesting weird takes on this, saying that it's about more that there's all this meaning and symbolism and this and that. I didn't see any of that. Now, obviously, it's my first viewing. Maybe Mike's going to point out some genius thing, and then I'm going to have to go back and look at it and go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how blind I am because Mike is just going to just throw the illuminating knowledge on me. There's like 200 hours of like YouTube analysis and people just – waxing about all manner of shit. I, I heard oh, like I, I've also seen I, I recently watched a video about a guy talking about how Jaws is essentially an allegory for capitalism and that was just purely well, like an indictment this, I guess an indictment against capitalism yeah yeah that makes sense yeah and that sounds like something Spielberg would put in his like greatest like blockbusters is his beginning of becoming a great Spielberg director made that movie when he was like everyone. 23 years old or something like that yeah, well, I mean, I'd he sell out at 23 if I could. If I could go back and sell it at 23. Certainly, if I was like part of some group of people that uh, all took care of each other and, and told each other what, what messages to stay on board with, like I would definitely not step out of line if, well, I mean, I would, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people wouldn't. I'd like I to think, think a, that I, I wouldn't. There's a whole lot of people giving other people way too much credit. 
I can't imagine. You can you can project onto people your own ideas of what something is about. But yeah, as it's called art. VR, yeah, I, I understand that, Michael. All right. But to say that the 23-year-old Spielberg was really creating this blockbuster as an indictment yeah. against capitalism. Well, I don't know. A psychologist might say that he manifested it at some subconscious level because it, it does, like, you know, when somebody points it out, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a critique of capitalism. It's like, you know, it's the unknown and, and we're dumb and we, like, open up the beach even though, you know, global warming is right there. We got to go back to the Paris Accords. You know, I don't know. I could see somebody putting those together, um, even if it's not. Even if it's not accurate in the eyes of Spielberg, you know, you can kind of transpose those over each other and you get a lot of like sync ups. Yeah, you know, like yeah, a Robert, Pink, Pink Floyd and um, Dark Side of the Dark Side of Oz. Yeah, kinda, it just, just like kind of works. I don't think that they had that in mind, but it kind of works. It's funny yeah. to stone okay. and watch. Now, now, of course, Jaws was uh, in the late 70s, right? So I don't know if a lot of those things. Yeah, were that was the zeitgeist, right? Really anti-capitalist. A lot of a lot of science fiction fantasy themes that were very like oh we're all fucked we're gonna get overpopulated and we don't do something now we don't do something about this monster yeah well robert what was the point you wanted to make about watching that uh that take regarding jaws because that was one that uh our past guest pete quinones suggested that we check out oh it's very interesting and i look forward to talking about that i was just saying how there's been i'm sure there's a lot of thought that goes into dissecting every kubrick movie but, and I'm sure they work on multiple levels for multiple people, but there's a whole lot of projection of armchair <clears throat> psychologists and historians and all what philosophy buffs who uh, project all kinds of ideas onto these films where the artist had no intention of creating them. And, and like Mike's saying, maybe it's this deep seated psychology that's he's just making out of art because. It's all subliminal and whatever. Um, subconscious. I I just cool. I, okay, whatever. Anyway, let's just let's just talk about this. It's movie. like it's, it's like fine. okay, yeah. It's you were, you were told it was going to be a an erotic journey or whatever, and so is the studio. And then they got this fucking Illuminati fucking roadmap. Did it though? Did and it then, really? And then Kubrick died. So whatever. It's all good. Um, yeah. Okay. So like, okay, Ziggler, right? Ziggler's in the movie, right? He's the um, Sidney Pollack. Yeah. So I love Sidney Pollock, by the way. So Ziggler means like bricklayer. It's a weird coincidence, right? Like just to start you off. And you get these coincidences piling on top of each other, like over and over. And you start going like, okay, well, maybe I should look for patterns. What's that called when you see patterns that aren't there? Um, There's a word for it. I don't have the word in my mind anymore. But <clears throat> anyway, so they got um, the, the brilliance of this is that it's got a lot of layers to it. Like there's... There's very superficial layers, and you can work all the way down to as as far into the sort of, uh, you know, New World Order or not New World Order, but like the whole like Illuminati shit that you want to get to. And I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek, just because it's a way easier placeholder to use that than some elongated, um, you know, explanation every single time. I'm just gonna say Illuminati. <laughs> it's just way easier, you know. Like, um, I think Bill uh, Bill Burr mentioned this. Like, he's like, oh, all those fucking Illuminati sex parties or whatever in one of his um stand up. So it's it's hit the zeitgeist, which is good, which is what he was intending. Um I don't know. I think the easiest thing to do is just get into the layers of it, to be honest, and like what I saw in it. Um because like I don't know. There's just a lot of coincidences that are hard to write off. Well let's start with the basics. Like what's the kernel of the idea 
that Kubrick saw in the novel or novella that was the inspiration that made him want to do this for decades? Okay, so I think the first, so I wrote down like uh, four layers basically, where you get like masks at the first layer, which is like um, our ego and relationships, which is essentially what the novel's about. And then you get one layer sort of deep and you sort of get into the institutions of power that, that affect our relationships on top of that. And then, and then you start looking at the symbolism and you get kind of an alchemist journey out of that, which is the um, uh, like enlightenment essentially like through um the harnessing of knowledge which is like which is what really gets like uh, this is what gets confusing with the whole like illuminati thing right it's like uh christians tend to really have their backup against like about uh paganism and any kind of occult symbolism and things like that but it's not really fair to to say that like paganism is directly connected to satanism like that's not a through line at all like it's like saying that an atheist's um, worships God essentially, or the wrong God. You know what I mean? Like it's like a completely different thing. It's uh, the religion we have now. At, you know, whatever monotheisms we have now are stacked on top of the old systems. And then there was also a competing sort of through line of, you know, people trying to dominate and control each other with knowledge. If that makes sense. So okay. So are you are you sort of talking about like there's different classes of of people based on their social status in this movie and harford is like trying to yeah, become yeah. Like, so more gets... elite but then there are these secretive elite who have their own secret special customs and a greater knowledge than you know your average joe who's uh even you know pretty well off like like bill is he's a doctor living in manhattan they have a very nice place but he has to work every day yeah, well, he's being initiated, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's he's encountering uh, a deeper knowledge of human society and how things actually work, um, and he's kind of given a choice to to take one or the other. And in this movie, like we watch that happen, right? Where he, um, the first half of the movie, he has a, a more innocent view of things, of his daughter, of the girl at the uh, costume store, um, and all these things, right? Like of Domino, for that matter. The, yeah, and his and even his wife saying that and his wife yes exactly yeah. and this this is the part that i think is missing at the end there's probably a confession on her part um and we might have got we might have got into some like mk ultra or or uh like child sex cults or some shit like that without you know like right into it um because essentially on one side you have bill who's completely innocent and um what's it called this has no idea what's going on and then and by naive. the end naive naivety Right. So like, let's take the, um, the, the costume store. Right. So the guy is pimping out his daughter in the first version of that. It looks like it's a mistake that that's happening. And the dad's very angry about it. Then when he comes back after he's been initiated and he's come in contact with his knowledge, he finds out that the dad is just basically her pimp. Right. And he offers, he offers her, her his daughter to bill. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, in a literal because, sense, is is him being upset at the scene initially, Milich being upset at the scene initially. It's a facade. Yeah, but is it's for show. It's yes. it's because Bill's there and he's not initiated. Yes. He's that's the surface world that we live in, right? That's the masks that we wear, right? And then we know that these institutions of power affect our lives, but we don't realize how deep these um the roots go into our psychology and and our our you know our lives like banks in finance i mean that's a huge one right with libertarianism centralized banking um but even if you look at like 
Okay, what I write down here? Institutions that protect us versus institutions that uh, like exploit us, essentially, right? So you have like because I'm married is something you can say to somebody uh, and say like I'm in a contract right now. This protects me from losing myself to a sea of debauchery, right? That's like one institution. It's a contract, so that's like it can hold you back, but it, you know it's it's less corrupt than say um, our financial institutions, our media, you know, and our um, <clears throat> Yeah, media, marriage, money, right? Uh, and then we have, like, on the other side, you have the commodification of the human sexual experience now with, like, Tinder and and Bin or Bumble and, and Hinge and all that shit, right? Like, if you look at the, if you analyze the the way those things interact with people, they're horrific and fraudulent, right? Yeah, now, I'm, I'm, I'm having all these, like, different thoughts going on at the same time here, but... Yeah, that's kind of the point of the movie, right? So, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, 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 like, it's really hard to kind of... Focus one's thoughts on this, I guess. So if I ramble, I apologize, I suppose. Although you're not supposed to apologize. Yeah, never blood apologize. In, blood in the water. <laughs> well what so what what is the what is the meaning in your view of the opening scene? We're at this party and they've been there before and well the Alex opening says, scene I don't know why we're always going to these things. We don't know anybody here, but that's sort of like the initiation, right? Yeah, because he's like a good bitch, right? Right. But then the they're both Tempt, or they're both uh, offered temptations, but they both sort of refuse, right? So they're like, you know, yeah. Well, he doesn't refuse per se. He doesn't. He's not really. Oh yeah, I guess he is offered, but he's bailed out. Yeah, yeah, he's pulled away. And yeah. do you think that that uh, him being pulled pulled away was in order to further initiate him into this circle? Like, do you yeah, think you could... that that Sidney Pollock's character. And Mandy, that situation was um, concocted to get Bill sort of like on the inside and under some sort of like unspoken, you know, agreement, like beyond the oh, veil. Yeah, who knows? I, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I think it's a, I think, I think on the surface, the first half, like it's kind of a mirror. There's a lot of mirrors in the movie, so I sort of take it as the the first half is a bit more innocent. Like he's just. He probably wouldn't have like fucked him either. He probably would have just like snapped out of it because he's a, seems like a pretty disciplined guy. Um, until he's like emasculated by by his wife, he's not really looking for any outside of that. He's just kind of taking in the the adoration and the you know the the flirting and stuff, right? Um, but he and he's like, oh, where are we going, right? And they're like, oh well. And again, rainbows, right? It's like rainbows occur over and over in this. But where the rainbow ends is what she says to him. And he's like, oh, I don't, I'm not really sure about this. I'd like to know more about what's what you're trying to do to me and how I'm feeling right now before I sign on for that. And that's a very like logical sort of masculine brain, although it doesn't always work that way because the, there's not enough blood to operate both parts of us at the same time. Both ends, yeah. <laughs> both ends. Uh, in in over his head, more like in over his heart on, am I right? <laughs> All right, so Robert, do you have any any uh, commentary at this point? <laughs> do you see this? I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. I <laughs> just right. started. You, you guys start talking, and I just start daydreaming about other stuff. Oh, that sucks. Well, no, you know, it's uh, not. I just, I I know that that um, I just I wish I had more to offer. That's all I'm saying. Is that I. It's 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 okay. hard for me to analyze this film on the level you guys are taking it to. Okay, so well, as a libertarian, you're going to have contempt for um, authoritative institutions, institutions of power that um, limit the freedom of 
you know, people and a marketplace, right? So like, you know, the Knights Templar were kind of the first international banking system and they were not a very good representation of like the crusades in general. Um, the Vatican had like a child, like, you know, they were, they were masking. I, you know, I would say that it's probably like on purpose, but they were at least um, uh, pushing back and, and obfuscating, obfuscating the, um, the pedophilia that was going on in the church, moving priests around and, and protecting people, right? So these are institutions that should be laudable that are very corrupt by the power within them, and then they affect our lives deeply. And I think that that's part of the movie where they talk about, like, yeah, I guess it doesn't really connect like that, though. So it just happens to be something I think about institutions, and this movie is about the initiation into those upper levels where they're playing the game beyond the game. Like, we're all trying to fucking make money in the stock market or or run a restaurant or, or invest or whatever. But like, ultimately there's people that will destroy currencies, you know? Right. Yeah. And speaking like, of currencies, it seemed like uh, Harper was, was he, he represented, you know, some affluence, some money, and he yeah. was using money to get what he wanted all over the place. He, and, and also his uh, title of, of being a doctor and his name like a dozen times and his name, um, Bill. <laughs> right. But, but, when you get into those upper echelons that he encounters, they're no longer dealing with the currency of money. They're dealing in the currency of power. Yes. Blackmail. Um, yeah. I'd say like a lot of our political systems and power structures are run on a web of blackmail. Right. So like, you know, I started investigating maybe not a great example for us, but uh, like some drug you know, getting across the border, like some sort of drug operation. And I investigate it far enough. And then I find out there's human trafficking involved. And then I found out that a senator is involved and the investigation has to stop. And so what I'm allowed to do as a DEA officer is, is take down some low level drug mule or something, you know, and, and make, and I'm allowed to put my career forward or I can get myself murdered or put, you know, shipped to Alaska to sit behind a desk or something. But like, I'm not allowed to challenge the, those with with true power running running the game beyond what we even see right okay is that yeah. on topic even i was trying to provide an example that didn't have anything to do with this movie because rob hates it no but i can i can see the parallels you know like those who attend that uh you know that secret society party uh sydney pollock's character even says to tom cruise like if i told you who those people were uh you would be scared you know like it would make you worried and I, yeah, he's, uh, he was surprisingly courageous or stupid <laughs> really to go to go to a big but i guess i mean 1999 it's like a you know they hadn't seen eyes wide shut because they were in the movie itself so well what did you guys take of the the big fake show supposedly yeah. that the was all about are, is he is the movie saying that those people were just there to have a good time and they're not really going to hurt anybody and it's all to protect themselves from exposure. Yeah, I thought the the dramatics were like ridiculous and fanciful to a large extent. Like it seemed it seemed like a dream almost from from his perspective. Like that that whole situation just seemed ridiculous. But maybe that was because we were like getting through the looking glass and it's like I think Kubrick wanted to make it seem more fanciful the closer we got to the point which we're like we're now dealing with the fallout of all that. Does that make sense? I'm not sure how that relates to Robert's question. <laughs> okay, so 
my take on that is that it like it happened, but like our perception as viewers and through the eyes of Bill is that it was very fanciful and ridiculous in a lot of ways. Like the 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 drama of that, the melodrama was preposterous, right? Like it just seemed a bit heightened. Even even within the context of what we were watching, it seemed like it had really gone up a notch with the whole I'll sacrifice myself. But um I think the idea with that is is that we're still in the innocence and we're still like we're seeing it melodramatically because it is un- from the un- uninitiated position. We're just like getting to this gateway. Makes sense? No, not helping. Are, are you guys? Are you guys saying that that Bill that the whole is these elite people tr- actually trying to initiate Bill into their society and not he blunders his way into it? Um, both simultaneously because it's like a allegorical. So, like to me, this movie is about Bill encountering these sort of thresholds. And not being able to go back. Um, actually, when he goes down to to meet Nick Nightingale in the um, in the bar, it's like there's rainbow lights as he sort of descends in, down a red sort of staircase, right? And then there's a sign that says like uh, no or all exits are final or some shit, right? Which is kind of like these decisions you're gonna make now are gonna be um, permanent. So like you choose God or Satan or whatever other version of that. Um, the material or the spiritual is probably the best way to, to talk about that if we're talking about occult stuff, right? Because you get the um, the 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 pentagram is sort of the Vitruvian man in the five points, and you're you have the the spiritual realm is dominant, right? So you're you're enlightening yourself with knowledge to to elevate yourself from your base instincts, and then if you invert that, you have the material dominance where we're corrupt beings. Um, sort of uh controlled by our reptilian brains and and if you look at the way governments work they tend to be these sort of lizard people <laughs> type type factions or uh, type people that like that use fear and and greed and anger you know to govern so um how did i get to this <laughs> what was Who the knows? question <laughs> i don't know okay um well, now you guys were just talking about the scene where where the the woman sacrifices herself to save Bill, and she has to pay a debt, or she has to fulfill this obligation because she yeah, knows and the rules and their of what promises matter, right? And, and what she got herself into. But then yeah. later on, when Sidney Pollock is basically explaining it to Tom Cruise, he says, "Cut the bullshit," gives him some bullshit, and then says, "Cut the bullshit again," yeah, and gives him a different kind of take on it, where he says it was all charade. It was all just yeah. To, to keep you afraid and, and whatnot. But I read that as this is just something that like Pollock's characters representing the narrative, the cathedral yes. saying, here's how you're going to view this bill. This so is the running the show. The, this is the plausible deniability. This is the seed I'm going to plant in your head yeah. to where you aren't quite sure what to believe, but there's enough of this being possible that you can't, you know, you can't feel like you definitely know what happened. So, yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good take. I like that. Um, so because it's, like it was. it's a power move over Bill. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like it's controlling the mind through narrative, right? Right. Um, and so they present this really audacious thing you couldn't really describe to a jury. Um, and then he presents another one that's very like very simple and uh, naive. And you can go back to that world if you want. Where there's just a bunch of coincidences. She happened to be the person... Because he, 
she recognized him because he saved her in the that was maddie right mandy yeah mandy so he saves her in the upstairs or from the overdose or whatever well, i don't think he even saves her but he you know uh talks to her and she recognizes him and then she she bails him out by sacrificing herself um and so he knows all of this is happening and he's like okay well do i choose like a series of coincidences that are absurd or a melodrama that's absurd <laughs> because these people are so like um what do you say uh the the oldest and the oldest and simplest lie is the one that people believe because it's like it's impossible to think people would fall for it forever the same lie over and over Okay, you know like I, we we reject the spiritual realm because it it feels ridiculous, and we're told to like reject all of these feelings that we have that um, sort of urge us towards a you know a more natural balance over our base instincts. Okay, know? all right, and then early on in the film, it's established that Bill is a very logical thinker, and so yes. when well, he's very male too, right? Yeah, so so when when he's sort of in this dreamscape and seeing all this weird shit and then Sidney Pollock's character sort of gives him a rational thing to, to lean on. He, he knows that he'll grasp at that. Yeah. Like he's, um, he's given him an out essentially. Right. So it's, this is the, the choice he has to make at that point. Um, okay. Cause another way to look at this movie is this is a series of almost something happening, but nothing ever really happening. No, <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost yeah. like they take a bunch of they make a bunch of restrictions and then they ebb them back and then they put them forward again and everyone's all like, "Oh, do we do we storm the fucking capital now? Oh, is, is today the day? Okay, don't let's let's just focus on our business or whatever and and try, right? Like, I don't know. It's interesting how you rule people with um. I mean, you do with the iron fist comes out now and then, like you do pound down people like in hard, but it's more this sort of velvet glove approach of like being very delicate with the minds of your subjects and uh, fooling them fraud. Right. So I, I find it interesting that, that that particular group at that party, like their promises matter a lot. Their contracts matter. Our contracts at this level are only as good as the goodwill between the, the people. Right. It's not enforced by any authority. Like, you know, if we do bad business, you have to sue. It's, you know, if you're not, if you're too poor to fucking make that work, it's not really going to be resolved very well. People cheat on each other all the time, you know, so it's interesting that like the this movie says I think I want at least it says this that the people that run your life have contracts that matter a lot to them and the other person and there's probably uh an authority that is you know that you can't even conceive of like uh making sure that that happens I mean, making sure that that status is maintained which is you know our slow march towards oppression so these people have their shit together, you know? It hasn't been so slow lately. <laughs> um, I mean, there's been other tyrannies. There's been, I mean, there was a Soviet Union. That was pretty rough. China has been going on for a long time. So, I mean, here it's a relatively new idea. It took a good 300 years to sort of chip away at... Uh, and it, it, what's funny is it's not it's not the law, right? Because again, it's just a piece of paper. Like that doesn't fucking matter. What matters is the spirit of the of the people, and like whether or not they're like with especially with this um, lockdown. It's like 
it's not the rat on the face from like 1984 where they're making you afraid. They're giving you the one thing you need. The one thing that you can't live without. They're letting you do that if you behave. So if you need to sport climb, you know, and you need to do it in the gym in Canada because it's cold outside till the middle of summer, um, you can do that, but you have to wear a mask for doing this pretty exerting exercise, right? Pretty exhausting exercise. Um, but you can do that if you do this one thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it. But a lot of people are going to do that. That makes sense? If you submit. If you submit. But it's all, it's all compartmentalizing. And so it's about it's about taking this uh, the coalescence of community and the coalescence of the male-female energies coming together. And it's about separating and commodifying those things so that the machine can just farm you and, and make you a slave. Right? Uh, and so if you can just get people to kind of just kind of go along because of the one thing that they're selfish about. That's all you got to really do. And then, you know, the other side of that is utter fear, right? Because, like, you'll just be fucking... The cops escalate to killing you, so <laughs> you got to watch out for that when something's, you know... But, I don't know. You saw about Ontario, right? I uh, did. That's the church, church. Yeah. yeah. It's a bad situation. Not the church. No, the, uh, the, the police state implementation, right? Is that what you're talking about, Mike? Yeah, I got full-on police state there now, so... Yeah, they can stop and inquire about your what your vaccine status at any time. Ask you. Why oh no, you're it's like a stay-at-home order. It's a full-on yeah, stay-at-home like, order. Why are you outside? Why are you yeah. outside of your house? Go back uh, home. I would say I would say something like I'm outside for reasons that are not covered by the stay-at-home order, and you're not allowed to ask me the details about that. Oh, a lot of people don't right understand. Here. Huh? Yeah. Well, no, and it's like at this at that point, you really want to just start shooting people, but you can't because you'll be alone. They've isolated people. So and their communication is difficult to have. So anyway, we should get, we should talk about the movie and not how much I want to overthrow my government. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let, let, in, in world of Warcraft. Yeah. So let's yeah. get back to the movie a little bit. So, so we have uh, Bill Harford, uh, which apparently in, in one of the documentaries or something I was reading, uh, <laughs> he was envisioning a Harrison Ford type character. And that's where the name Harford came from. Harrison okay. Ford. But then he chose a like a fucking uh, what are they called Scientology power couple? <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. not a mistake, right? That's actually a pretty good move. It's it's who were available, I guess, at the time. But uh, you know, you have Bill, who's who's uh, almost um, in the midst of this psychological warfare with his wife. Like he he trusts her and believes that their uh, their relationship is secure, and yet she admits to him and in an emasculating way that she has been thinking about other men. And what is it? Um, one of the, you know, 10 commandments is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. So like just even the thought of something can be in some circles considered almost as much as doing the act itself. So yeah, in, in, what I like about this the, way, her thinking about cheating on him with another man is almost as bad to him as her actually doing it. And he's tormented by this. Yeah, well, what I like about, like, commandments and religion, um, I mean, obviously it's not perfect, but the concept behind it is that it's self-governance in a lot of ways. Like, these are guidelines, right? Like, the commandments, I mean, yeah, the command, they're rules. But they're rules that are like, if you do these things, you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. So, don't covet the neighbor's wife um, is a very good uh, rule to govern yourself with. And, you know, you self-flagellate if you're sort of Spanish in that era or, or whatever. But um, it isn't like it's not enforced beyond you, which is kind of what I find useful about spirituality and religion that we form these communities that are sort of outside of government. In fact, like 
that's what I mean by institutions of, or corrupting institutions, right? Is we form these institutions, these structures, and then like sort of God leaves them and we're just left with the structure. And the, the people that take over that structure are generally fairly corrupt. So we build these monuments of like a republic and then they get taken over by the most corrupt people in history. You know what I mean? Because the, anyway. Yeah, because um, that's where the corrupt go, or the people that so, lust for power go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, our relationships are at one level an ego, egoic exchange or whatever. We have to we have to fight between men and women. We're very different creatures. We have different winning conditions, but we do coalesce to the penultimate sort of creative practice, which is what drives our species forward. So this is like a, a magic that we need to be aware of. Uh, you know, sexuality is a, is sort of a magical force for men and women to be able to coalesce in, in ways that like intellect is not gonna gonna work. Um, and, and that relationship is corrupted heavily by institutions of power that drive us into gender roles that we may or may not like, like gender roles exist at a natural level, but the state or any governing force tends to take laudable or natural qualities or traits and then leverage those and commodify them, if that makes sense. So like patriotism or, or wanting to defend your family, they get you to enlist and then go fight across the ocean in a war that you don't need to be participating in. Well, that would be an otherwise uh, laudable quality for a man to want to be strong and brave. And they take that and they use it to make profit and, and resources, you know. So um, so when it comes to gender roles, it's like the men just become money and the women just become sexual objects within a society that's corrupted. And this movie is in a lot of ways about the grooming process for that. So like in the very first scene, Bill's looking for his wallet and um, Alice knows where it is that's the first thing they say to each other right and and then where's my money oh i know where your money is it's it's by the bedside table so are you saying and and then her first line is how do i look yes so we establish immediately what the roles for our gender are and then we examine how those are like both a natural state for men and women and that's not a bad thing but how those are those uh natural trends or traits are exploited and commodified um and then we actually end up going down sort of a pedophilic grooming ritual with the four stages of like like helena their daughter to the girl at the costume store to domino to alice who is ultimately grooming helena in the second half of the movie where she's talking about a math problem that is literally just, uh, there's two dudes with money, which one has more money. And Bill overhears that from the other room, right? After he's become sort of aware of what's going on around him more. I, I think there was a through thread of logic with what I, I just said there. I think I actually held it together that time. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to rewind the tape and listen to that one. Make sure. Okay. I, Basically generals exist. Generals exist naturally. They're exacerbated by institutions of power. Those institutions corrupt us and our relationships and exploit us that way by separating us. Men become money and women become sexual objects. And this movie is also about um, the grooming process of that. But from, right. from, the, but from Bill's perspective, is the journey we're on, we are given the information and he then he then crosses the sort of threshold to find out more about like the reality of where he's living. Um, okay. And, and visually, visually um, all of the women in this are redheads, right? So that's supposed yeah. to imply that they're sort of like different stages of the process. Each yeah. Different- well, there's also the implication of the redheaded whore of Babylon, right? 
in the Babylonian in, in Revelation. <laughs> Y'all need Jesus. Um, <laughs> you don't have to have Jesus in your heart, but you should read fucking the Bible because there's some really good stuff in it. Revelation, Babylon, um, is basically a one-world government state that is uh, collapsing. It's where you get the whole 666 stuff, one-world currency. All these sort of all this stuff that the Christians go like, oh shit, this is happening, right? Like, because it kind of is. Right. Yeah, I've yeah. heard this many times. Yeah. Yes. So, um, from okay. from Babylon, you get Babylon, uh, spelled B A B A L O N, from the um, uh, is it Crowley, Alistair Crowley? The okay, so the the yeah. Book of Law, right? Which is the sort of satanic or Luciferian Bible you get in like 1905 or whatever, right? It's coming up um, from that era, and you get um kind of like their version or their take, their perspective on on these ideas. And they're all kind of pro those ideas. And like, hey, this is the good this is these are the good aspects of like going your own way and and renouncing God and, and seeking only the material, you know? So that's another good read too, right? Because it'll give you a perspective on sort of how we got to rules for radicals <laughs> over a hundred year period. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, you're dumbfounded again. Okay, so what did I say? So Babylon, right? It's in the Boney M song sometimes. <laughs> so you get uh, the red-headed horror Babylon, and you have the four stages, so they're all the same person. And they and they are the the cycle of corruption for women and how women becoming whores corrupt um, man's path of enlightenment and, and make us seek only material instead of spiritual growth and a connection to God. Does that work? I think so. I think okay. so. You're going to allow it? All you right. didn't get that the way I Rob, you were feel well in that idea. I just feel so unequipped to have this conversation right now. I, yeah, I don't enough. know. I watched a movie about a guy that went to some freaky sex night thing. And I mean, obviously, there's Shots. a whole lot, whole lot going on in the world. And okay. What if, what if I, I made this one weird note? Uh, I noticed I was like, I had this weird thought. I was watching the orgy scene um, for the third time today. Just kidding. <laughs> I thought that it was shot pretty tastefully, to be honest. Like, they wanted to portray that there's a bunch of, like, just buck wild fucking going on. Um, but they did, they did like, kind of a slow pan, and they kind of they hit as much as they could without detracting from the fact that it's this, like, debauchery. So, you know what's going on, but it's yeah, not like You have right. a very good idea what's going on, but they don't show you a lot of, like, there's no penetration on, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I felt like it, they did, he did as well as he could to convey exactly what he was trying to uh, without, without making know, going, pornography. For, for an R rating, it, I don't know, it all felt really, really tame. Like you're saying it was very artfully done. It felt like it was just like you're walking into some rando. Like, I think you see more crazy stuff going on at any random like sex club in the United States than you do at this no, high-powered... Yeah, but you, you know, would see it all. You're not, you're not being thing. told what to look at by a camera, right? Um, I, I felt uneasy by the eroticism of it. I think that that's what he was trying to make me feel. Is like this is fucked up and weird. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You should, you should, uh, you should acknowledge that this isn't like possibly arousing, but also realize that like this is um, uh, some path. And you're on a path, and you should be as conscious as possible while that's happening. Is what sort of what I got out of it. But yeah. Um, I wrote down this though. Um, 
I wrote down that a, a strip club is essentially uh, a synthetic version of what we saw in that orgy. Like we see a very similar sort of commodified version of that heightened sexual ritual in a strip club, which I'm not saying that there should be laws against them. I'm saying that like, if I go to a strip club, I am very aware that there's a uh, possible corruption of my soul that might occur if I stick around too long. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and it, it, it almost seems like that's the version for the peasants. Like while they're having their okay. like eyes wide shut parties at the Rothschild mansion, literally they shot that at a Rothschild mansion, by the way. Um, you know, the peasants get like kind of a facsimile of that, a mass produced copy where there's, there's no sex magic. There's only the commodification of the desire. <laughs> like, sex is a life affirming act, right? Like you, you are empowered by that, even if you're doing it for bad because <laughs> you're Illuminati or whatever, like it's the, there's a magic to it, right? You know, this so isn't. I'm, uh, I'm saving isn't, myself. This isn't like a situation where they're all doing these things to sort of hold each other to account. Like they're like I've heard uh, Alex Jones talk about uh, some of the Bohemian Grove stuff, where they'll do things to each other to have dirt on each other to hold each other in in a pact of sorts. Yeah, pact of silence. But with the masks in this one, where nobody knows who is who. No, I think it's yeah. It was a, a ritual to empower them. To okay. give them that whatever that fucking dark side fucking energy, you know, like to get uh, or maybe just get off. I don't know. So what what do we learn from this movie? What what is the arc that we're being shown by the end? What is what is the revelation that Bill has? Um, the revelation I got is that Kubrick should have somehow hid or made a copy of his director's cut before he showed it to the people that were obligated to print whatever he wanted and put it in theaters. Like they were obligated contractually to give him final cut. Um, and so there's really only one solution. If this guy's like calling you out on your, um, okay, sorry. In answer to your actual question, um, not just, you know, uh, make a copy and mail it to yourself or mail it to somebody you trust. Um, I get, um, so you get the alchemist journey, Right, which is the path of enlightenment. So you can, um, with the knowledge that you have, you can learn to insulate yourself from the corruption and you can seek um, to renew the strength in your relationship through um, honesty and, and connection like that. And sex is, you have to realize that it's a magical sort of act and like, and, and realize the power in it. And, um, you know, commit completely to that um that's like kind of almost the silver lining though to the to the darkness of the movie which is the cycle of of grooming us into gender roles that are horrific in nature and i'm pretty sure what was cut was probably some mind control mk ultra stuff or literally the child grooming of like helena because like Okay, so you get the three stages, right, with the, the whole mirroring, where you have, like, um, him as an innocent, and then him as seeing the world as it is. And you get, like, Helena means shining light, of course. Innocent to begin with, and at the end, she's kind of given away. Did you... 
Like she goes off in the background. You guys didn't do any of the like. There's like so many like conspiracy videos about this movie. It's awesome. Like stuff that I don't even agree with, but it just goes on and on. It's wonderful. Well, um, I will say that my my wife and I both noticed that when they have their final talk in the store, that Helena just fucks right off and yeah, well, no big deal. You know, in this like massive department store, and we're like, as parents, we're like, no way would we <laughs> just let the kid yeah. just run off. Okay, so in that movie, in that you get the um, magic circle. There's a bunch of magic circle boxes of toys. They're called magic circle, right? There, and there's like stars on the ground or whatever. And she goes off in the background, and she's met my two older guys that happen to be sitting at a table at Ziggler's party. Same actors. So mm, that, I did not that notice me, that. That gets me pretty conspiracy hard. Um, that's not a thing. But uh, yeah, so basically, my opinion is that that. Ultimately, Alice is leading him down the garden path to this corruption, um, and he's being initiated into it, into the darkness. Uh, and she's Helen. Helen is given away at the end to to um, as a as as a pact, right? With the with the wait. So is whatever Alice, this institution of power is is Alice by emasculating Bill, offering him the apple. Yeah, she, and and she's like laying in a garden later, and she's innocent in a dream, right? Like that's all that that's like the fall in the Bible, right? The um, Genesis. Okay, all right. So all making, right. Yeah, you feeling that? A little bit, yeah. And again, this is something that you can look at this so many different ways and apply pre-existing things to it, and it sort of fits well enough to where I don't know, I'd buy that for a dollar. So, yeah. well, it's like, and it's like, with I love this. Um, I like my viewing today because I thought about it in terms of the binary, right? Where you get the the innocence going in and then afterwards everything's changed, right? Like he, he wants to fuck Domino because uh, he's looking for a sexual experience after being emasculated. Um, and she's very sweet and everything's nice. And then he goes back and he finds out that she has AIDS from like another redhead. And it's interesting that she's like, you know, she's safe and wonderful Um and and he just like lays himself. He's like, can you just make me feel like a man, please, right? Uh, and then at the end, he comes back and it's like she's she's got the worst thing ever. You can't have that, right? Like <laughs> this is basically the um. <laughs> they got my my conspiracy hair standing up at the back of my head too with the whole like AIDS, like you know if they got a cure, if it's even real or whatever. I'm sure it's real, by the way. I'm not suggesting it's not. I'm just saying um, I don't think that the people at that sex party are worried about AIDS. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's also some ambiguity about who is that masked woman at the sex party who saves him. Was it Domino? Was it Mandy? Was it somebody else? Uh, and, and we don't discover until near the end that it, it was Mandy there. Most likely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually derailed you again. I'm really sorry about that. No, it's okay. I'm sure I had this most amazing point to make. But now it's gone. Um, but yeah, it seems to me that Bill's journey and and even Alice's is to get out of the um, sort of just the motions of being in in this relationship where they assume the best about each other and they yeah. finally admit to each other what, you know, sort of their true selves. Now, for Alice, it's mostly like in her head or what her base desires are. And for Bill, it's because she was pushing him away and emasculating him that he wanted to go and viscerally do something um, to, I don't know, like 
if you're going to, you know, accuse me of this, then I'm going to go and do it. You know, I think, well, honestly, I think it wasn't the accusation, accusation so much as the meanness, her cruelty. Right. But by the end, they've now like awakened to the fact that their relationship is far more important than just going through the motions. Yeah, so the, like that's where the last line is like we like we should fuck now, right? So if you take it as as a positive where they're reconciling, then it's about getting back to the coalescence of their sort of sexual energies, right? And no longer taking each other for granted. Yeah, and and no longer viewing each other in an innocent way, and accepting the reality of the other person as a human being with all sorts of terrible. Um, sort of uh, visceral needs and desires and, and, a, and a lizard brain inside there somewhere, you know? Okay. Yeah, that's I, how know, I read of... that whole emasculation. The demasculation was not necessarily her demasculating him, but rather her like admitting to these base desires that she really had no control over. And it was more like a an admission of some kind of guilt. Or She was picking weakness. a fight with him at the beginning, though. Like she was being an oh, yeah. asshole. Well, she was smoking some good herb. I mean, yeah. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I've been in these fights before. These are, you don't. I win thought these. that that argument went pretty well scripted. Like that, that felt, that felt like real. Eh? I was like, like fuck, this is like way too real. I hate I it when like, they do this. This is like just like spot on. It's like, like don't what are you, what are stop you talking. About? Figure out what she wants. What, what she's saying about. is What's not happening? what she wants. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. They're like that's the thing too. Is like people say with with with. They'll say things, but that's not what they want. Um, by people, I mean um, her in that particular situation, and people like her that I've been in conversations with that were similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it extends to both the male and female. Like we, we don't really say what we actually want. We, we are governed very much by not we, maybe not the people in this room because we're so enlightened. But um, there's a lot of people that are that are governed by base instincts that are just leveraged by people that are way more controlled and smarter than them, you know? So, and then you, you see that sort of in, when you have a fight with, with the spouse, it's just like that you guys are never, you're not even speaking the same language because men and women have completely different winning conditions, different emotional states, like different, different ways of seeing things. And so like, you know, the language gets broken down pretty quick. So you end up like, are you just saying this? <laughs> what you're saying is, you know, like the interview, but she she literally does. She gives them that like. So what you're saying is, uh, you just see me as a sexual object, and he's like, "No, I didn't. I don't recall saying that. <laughs> you you said that, and now you're accusing me of it. I'm not sure how to get out of this situation." Um, so, but yeah, like at, at one level, it's just, it's really just about that. It's just about a couple, you know, uh, you know, interesting uh, examining their egos and their the deception of a relationship, which um. Sandor says at the beginning, marriage is wonderful because it makes it makes deception necessary to both parties. <laughs> so he was basically describing their initial relationship status prior yep. to their awakening. Yep. So that was so. that was Sandor's sort of uh role in the narrative. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm sure there's like you said hundreds of hours of analytical content um, related to this movie on, uh, on the YouTube. Uh, I did find a couple of things and I, I tried to watch a few of them, but there's only so much there's time. Today. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like watching that two thirty seven, right? Like I don't, I enjoy watching analysis like that for its own sake. I don't, it doesn't have to even make sense. It doesn't like, 
you know, I watched somebody uh, analyze different um, sort of sacred geometry with like different places on earth and drawing lines and stuff and talking about how like, oh, this is connected and these guys did this. And then out of nowhere, he starts talking about how like the Ark of the Covenant has a mini black hole in it, like out of the blue. And I'm like, wow, this guy is. He's really in his own world, but I'm just going to keep listening because it's a really interesting story, you know, it's not that David uh, Wilcock guy, is it? I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, fuck, I love that guy. It's one of my favorites. Because <laughs> he's not like, he's just completely like, yep, I talked to an alien, motherfucker. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, my wife and I, we were watching Ancient Aliens. A couple of oh, that guy's awesome. Absolutely rad. Now, he'll, he'll, he'll describe in detail a conversation he had with, like, the Draconians. So, I mean, more power to him. I don't believe him, but um, I mean, Crap. I kind of do. He spins a fine yarn. Yeah, I mean, like, I I believe Mad Max, Fury Road. I believe, you know, Tolkien. It's certainly more convincing than what I see in the news every day. I'll grant you that. Um, yeah, so just coming back, like like I said, there's the there's the four stages from Helen to, to the prostituted girl at the costume store to whatever, um, to Domino, and then finally Alice, and then the cycle starts again with her giving her child up to the to the corrupt system right Right, and, and even beyond that you have the um status of each of them or or the you know when when domino finds out that she's sick and dying and then mandy is dead so like that's the whole yeah. cycle process through yeah and then simultaneously you get an alchemist journey of like the good side of that or becoming enlightened and like not choosing to just lay down and let these systems dictate what you do with your life and your relationship with your your own essence you could say or god right okay well we should probably wind this one down so do you have any final notes that you want to bring up mike or or robert do you have any points that um have piqued your interest or any anything that you wanted to bring up i'll save my comments for my final summary sir thank you i i i feel woolly uh inadequate in this episode but it's it's all good i i love mike and uh, i love all the things he brings awesome well, thank right. you. Yeah, this is this is just the the Mike C carrying the episode episode. Well, I mean, you gave me a choice between this and I think like I don't know GI Joe the movie or something. It's like I think I'll go with <laughs> Kubrick's uh, Swan Song. Um, do you want mine next? Yes. The plan? All right. Um, well, we didn't cover rainbows, which is God's promise. It's the spitting of light into its components, so it's essentially like a representation of science as well. Um, there's probably some. 33rd degree angle shit that I haven't looked up, but I wouldn't be surprised if the whole masonry thing was connected to it. Um, where the rainbow ends, uh, there's actually a shot in there where you use lens flare, like literally have a rainbow sort of curve into uh, the pelvis area of the two players on screen, which I thought was interesting. Um, but essentially, this idea of the rainbow, aside from being like the promise of, of not flooding us again, uh, is the reaching up to the heavens, like trying to be more than just an animal. That's where man is is sort of um, stuck, is trying to not be an animal and trying to, like, you know, they can't, it, we can't be gods. We get fucked over every time we try to do that. But we can elevate ourselves from these base instincts, which I find is interesting. Um, and a rainbow is formed by, like, light and water sort of together sometimes. So I was thinking about the firmament and, and all that biblical stuff, but uh, I wouldn't want to get into that too much. But rainbows are like a, a huge part of the movie, and it's like um, chasing the rainbow is like 
kind of the corruptive side of it and and just sort of dissecting the rainbow and sort of like using it as a guidance is kind of maybe the good side of it if that makes sense i think that he's pretty abstract with it so it probably sounds like i've just smoked a joint and i'm talking to another sophomore in college but uh i just wanted to touch on the rainbows real quick and like i said the whole thing is about um these sort of two divergent paths that uh, a human can take to okay or overcome I'll jump on that for just a little bit. So the rainbow thing, especially when Bill's talking to the two young models at the party and they want to take him to the end of the rainbow where there's the pot of gold. I think they, they make that joke she and that's her vagina. Right. Or it also means because at that time, Bill is striving to be more wealthy and successful like those who are at the party, which would and give so, him more, <laughs> more, more pots of gold. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not really what's going to make Bill happy. What's going to make Bill happy is finding the enlightenment yeah. in that symbology of, of the rainbow. So it's not making it all the way to the end. But yeah, that, that was kind of my take. And yeah, that's just, that's, that's where I sat. But I'm like, I like the binaries. Um, I like the non-binaries too. Don't come to my house and arrest me. Um, but I, I like the, the binary nature of it and the, the possible sort of diversion paths of like good and evil. And I said this before about the whole machine that needs our creative energy. So it separates us into, into individuals and, and commodifies our, our sexual experience or intellectual experience. Anything artistic is, you know, commodified and, and ground up. Right. We don't really. Yeah. So yeah, I like this. I like this idea of like um, the, the alchemist path is understanding this world and, and being able to not be dominated by these base instincts and the people that would leverage those versus those that would, chase greed and and base instincts and and form cabals of evil that you know and then they find their place in this sort of hierarchy and and just fuck over anybody that's beneath them you know, okay sort of and two, then he, two possibilities there and then he actually finds the gold by striving for the enlightenment by yeah the treasure building. was our friendship all along <laughs> the friends we made along the way <laughs> all right all right i think i think we're torturing this enough <laughs> So, Robert, uh, why don't we go to you for your final summary and review? And, uh, sex, sex of Fidelio. Okay, that's smart. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you give us how many passwords uh, out of 10 for your rating that you'll give this? Okay. So, eyes wide shut. Uh, my review, I think it's going to sound real dumb. I'm obviously the odd man out on this episode. I... I, I, I heard all of what Dan and Mike were talking about and I, I could see it from a certain perspective. You could see all this stuff in there and more power to you. I, I, I'm certainly uh, not afraid or I do enjoy my own deep dives into things I find fascinating, of course. And if people find this particular piece of art fascinating, go on, dive right in and find all the the meaning you can out of it. Absolutely. It's going to enrich your experience. Me as this first time Rube with his country hick eyeballs. I just saw a, a well done story about a guy that has kind of a weird night. It, it, it seems to me that this whole movie is much ado about nothing. Uh, nothing really happens. Not a whole lot. Um, pretty much everything done seems to be done consensually. Maybe not with the the daughter. I don't. We don't understand how old she is. But even then, the father pimping her out, uh, the, the costume store guy, is obviously creepy at best. 
Um, I didn't see any of the Bill and Alice uh, giving up their own daughter. I didn't, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but I, I didn't see any of that. And I didn't even see them necessarily being groomed. I saw two characters at the end not going and exploring that any further, not seeing that world, you know, more strengthening their own relationship instead of them getting into some kind of kinky lifestyle or anything like that. I know I'm examining this from a very base dumb level and I'm okay with that. This is fine. I'll leave it to the other expert guys to examine it on a more esoteric level. I, I, I did enjoy this film quite a bit. It was, it's, it's fairly um, well done in terms of just the storytelling, like the, the mystery of what's happening and you can leave it up to, it's very ambiguous. So, you know, the, you're going to see different things based on your own life experience and whether you think a character is telling the truth or not. Um, there's no real, a whole lot of physical evidence presented that's going to prove one character to be a liar or not. So you're left up to your own understanding and your own reading and analysis of what's happening in the film. So that's a lot of fun. I could see why this movie is analyzed from infinite angles and explored on the internet for decades and decades. And I'm sure will be continued to do so. Um, what was, what was the rating system? I forget. I forget what it was. Out of 10 arbitrary thing. Uh, yeah, I was uh, going with passwords because he asked for a second password when there actually was not a second password. So why not there be potentially 10 passwords? Okay. How many passwords out of 10? So I would say that this film garners seven passwords out of 10 from Robert. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily Kubrick's best work, but it is a fairly accessible piece. Um, if you're just watching it on a Robert level, if you're watching it on any you know, higher levels, it's, I, I don't know, but it, it, it probably has that ability to be enjoyed by many different people. So take that for what I have to say. Anyway, right. uh, not the best Christmas movie of all time, but one of the better Christmas movies of all time. Okay, so it's behind Die Hard and It's a Wonderful Life. It's behind Wonderful Life, behind Die Hard. It's ahead of Home Alone and it's ahead of Gremlins. What about Elf? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's ahead of Elf. Because Elf it's is so, shabby. it's got a few good jokes. What about, what about Kingdom of Heaven? <laughs> Does that take place during Christmas time? No. Well, I mean, I think everything, I think the it Crusades was just a long hundred year period of Christmas. There yeah. Are, yeah, so, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, so seven passwords on the Robert Ru the Rube Robert scale. All right, that's right, perfect. All right, so I guess I'll go, and then Mike will let you do the, uh, you know, the best for last kind of thing. My kids always say best for last. So I am a big Kubrick fan, um, and there's always so much meaning packed into everything that he does, every scene, every framing of the camera with the sets and the colors and things in the foreground, things in the background, similarities, reflections, refractions, and all the rest, uh, that this is the type of movie that I think you need to watch several, several times to try, try to tease out like different ideas and different um, explorations that you can kind of wander through. This is only the second time that I've seen this and I still get the, uh, on its face, it's kind of a story about nothing really happening, a bunch of almost things happening, but at the last minute, uh, that thing doesn't actually happen. And so 
when you watch it at that level, like it lacks the sort of emotional impact, especially at the end when Tom Cruise's character is crying to Alice, to Nicole Kidman's character. It's like, well, but he didn't do anything. He did all these almost things. And he's like admitting this to her and, and breaking down over it. But when you look at it um, on a, a little bit of a deeper level, and I, I tried to keep up with our guest, Mike, uh, a little bit here, um, then I, I can see that there is more like going on psychologically within these characters and in this study of their interaction um, that goes beyond just what we're presented with, with this story that's almost a story about nothing. So with that, I'm going to give it a pretty good score. Um, I'm going to go with six and a half passwords out of 10. I don't think this is Kubrick's best work, but it is, uh, it is one worthy of watching, uh, like I said, several times and have some ideas of um, what you're looking for in it. And I'm sure you'll find it because that's kind of what he does. He makes it ambiguous enough to where you can kind of tease out and divine whatever theory you sort of have in mind and, and find those place markers to uh, kind of make you think that you're on the right path. So that's my take. And we'll go over to you, Mike. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, if you don't think this is a 10 out of 10 film, then hashtag restore the Kubrick cut, I suppose he, uh, he presented it to the people that thought he was making a sexy, sexy movie with a power couple. And, uh, then a few days later he died mysteriously, which I find interesting. And some people say some stuff's missing, which might've, might've maybe even ham fisted. It might've pushed this, um, out of the, um, out of the sort of superficial to the, the sort of deep esoteric meaning. But um, um, I don't know. I, I, well, that's exactly what I like about it is that there's so many layers. You can watch it a few times. It doesn't preach to you. It just tells you, you know, some ways of, of looking at the world and um, the sort of the different sort of competing ideas in it are, are kind of wonderful. Um, out of 10, uh, I'd say 19 for um, 19 iterations of a virus and also that was her um, morgue chiller door was 19 above her, the uh, Maddie character that was sacrificed. Um, and it's also a very unlucky number for the Babylonians, which is um, that whole Revelation 666, uh, one world government sort of narrative. So it's all a bunch of weird coincidence. So I say 19 out of 10. 9-11, Bush, Harambe. <laughs> All right. So Mike's throwing a little symbolism at us here at the end here. So I, I appreciate that, Mike. Uh, well, this this was a fun conversation, and I hope you can stick around for a little bit longer for the Kathleen Turnover Drive, which is this, uh, the special time that we give to the uh, Patreon supporters. So go to lastnives.com slash Patreon for that, everyone. And Robert, um, we're going to be doing something uh, that I threatened you with a couple of months back, and it's ridiculous. It's dad joke level. But we're coming up on the month of May, and so it's that time. It's time for The Matrix. We're going to be doing the four <laughs> different iterations of The Matrix. So uh, each week, until our conditions are met, we're doing The Matrix uh, next week with Jeremiah Martin of Real on Reels podcast, another movie podcast. And then after that, we're going to be doing uh, Reloaded. And then the week after that, Revolutions. And the final week will be The Animatrix which is a bunch of short stories and uh, each guest that we'll have on, will get their take on the original matrix of course, as well. And uh, we'll try to tease out some things we can talk about with the new one, the reboot that is uh, forthcoming at some point in the near future. Well, that's a, uh, that's a whole lot of content. Hopefully you'll be able to stick with us. Hopefully we'll have different things to say each time. 
Uh, it's a complex film with a lot of deep meaning. I'm surprised Mike isn't one of our guests scheduled for that, but uh, it should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. And, and we're also going to be doing a couple of specials. There's going to be a Cinco de Mayo special in there with Desperado, with uh, with the guy from uh, Peddling Fiction, and also a Memorial Day episode with a uh, combat veteran. And that one will be Jarhead. So wow. we've got a bunch of content coming up. And and we've even threatened uh, our friend uh, Pat McFarlane of Liberty Weekly to do a May the 4th episode talking about Star Wars. And where we are in, in the trilogy in real life. Like, are we at Empire? Uh, are things looking up? Are things looking bad? Uh, so we're going to be pretty busy in the next uh, next little while here. There's a lot of coming, content coming at you. Hopefully you all enjoy it. The Matrix is Exodus. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, Mike. So, uh, so read, read Exodus, please, before you watch the movie. I will not do that. Mike. All right, well, at no, least man. look up Nebuchadnezzar and Zion, then. Anyway, right, you're good. Robert can do that. All right. Well, anyway, everyone, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, check out the show notes and more for this one at lastnerds.com slash 173. And I'll have links to Mike's musical escapades that he does at uh, Mechanical Dream Revolution. It's really good stuff. I am his top fan or, or whatever the, the nomenclature is on the SoundCloud. Um, but if, if I were a stockholder, I would I would have uh, the majority voting rights. I think that's pretty much how it goes. Right, Mike? Uh, yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. And we'll be uh, seeing you next week with The Matrix uh, for Matrix. And uh, with that, we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. Peace out.